uh, called In Lincoln As It Is In Heaven. In Lincoln As It Is In Heaven. And we pull that from the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And for us specifically, uh, where God has us, uh, in Lincoln as it is in heaven. And so that's a prayer we're going to be praying this whole series. And, and in this series, we're, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a church for our city. Uh, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus said some interesting things when he talked about the kingdom of God. Um, he didn't talk about it being like how maybe, you know, some of us were raised when we, th- or even when we think of heaven still. It wasn't like somewhere out there. The kingdom of God was not like otherworldly, floaty, cloudy, otherness, you know. Um, he talked about it being here, like in our midst, right? Jesus said uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. He said that over and over and over and over. He said the kingdom of God is in your midst. He said the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed, right? It starts out very small, and then God grows it until it's all-consuming, right? And so in this series, we're talking about what it does it look like to be a church for our city, right? If, if God's kingdom was to be ushered in and be present here, what would that maybe look like? And, and what is our part in that? And so this morning, as we roll into this series and as we start this, um, we're going to start where I think we have to start. You know, last week when we introduced it, the the big idea and the series, we began with prayer. And this morning as we begin this series, I think we've got to start with prayer and the role of prayer. Right? And so we talked about a prayer a ton at Mosaic in our short three years. Um, Every year we've actually done a series on prayer. And last year we actually did 30 videos over 30 days each on prayer. So I feel like I've taught on prayer like 30, 40 times since we've started. After a while, you just start running out of things to say, you know, because if you grew up around church, uh, or if you've been around church really for any period of time, like you get the gist of prayer. You know, you know, has to tell you that you pray. Uh, pretty much everybody prays, right? Unless you're uh, a really angry atheist and you've never been in a foxhole, you know, maybe you don't pray, but the rest of us do. Right? And so when we talk about prayer, you've got to know, like, this is not going to be one of those messages where you walk around, uh, walk out after, and you're like, I've never thought of that before. Right? That is completely new information. That's not really what this morning is about. Um, when we talk about prayers as church, really what it is, is it's reminding ourselves of what we so often forget. And, and so this morning really is just a call back to prayer. Right? And I would think most of us would probably, if we were really honest, and we could all get coffee together somehow, uh, which we really can't, but if we could, around a table, I think probably most of us would admit, um, for those of us who believe in God and think that, believe that prayer is an th- actual thing, um, I think most of us would admit that when it comes to prayer, we drop the ball. Can I say that? Like, I think most of us would admit that we don't pray as much as we feel like we probably should pray. So can we like get, all get on the same kind of page with that this morning? So the reality this morning is... I'm talking about prayer in a room full of people, most of which probably don't pray as much as they should. So let's just, like, get that out of the way on the front end and get off the hamster wheel of, like, guilt and shame, right? And and so we can have a profitable conversation. Because what I don't want you to walk out of here this morning is, like, with your head held low, thinking, well, Aaron said I should pray more. So I guess I should pray more. You know, like, that's not what I want. It's not the goal, right? The goal, really, uh, is I want you to walk out. I want all of us to walk out reminded of what an incredible privilege and invitation it is from an all-sovereign God saying, ask me. Come and ask me. Please, would you come and ask me? Right? And, and the, have a vision for the role, that, the unique role that, that prayer plays when it comes to ushering in the kingdom of God. 
right? but also with a warning of a very dangerous implication to praying this particular prayer together, which we will be in this series. All right, so to begin with, I want to remind you of something that you already know. Um, prayer is important uh, because things are not as they seem. Right, when I look around at the lives of most of us, uh, most of the Christians that I know, and myself included, this is confessional, um, most of us live with a certain kind of casualness when it comes to life. Uh, not a lot of urgency, just kind of like a, I mean, we're busy, but that's not the same as urgent, right? We're busy, we have a lot of irons in the fire, our schedule is full. Urgent is when you can put all that stuff aside for what's most important. I don't see like a lot of urgency. And I think part of that is because we live in a really great city, right? And I love living in this city. You guys ever pay attention to like the, the lists that Lincoln keeps popping up on, like national lists, right? New businesses, uh, I think we're named the best-run city in the U.S., according to a recent list. Um, you, you name it. There's a lot of, you know, one of the safest cities. It's just a great city, right? During the recession, right, when a lot of cities were, were really feeling the pain, we were still building all kinds of new things, right? Lincoln's a great place to be. But if there's a negative side to that, right, it, it's that it, it promotes, like, a certain casualness. Like, life is really comfortable in Lincoln because it's such a great city. And we can start to think, that we live in a peaceful time, or that this is a peace time. But the scriptures give us a very, very, a very different picture of what's actually going on. Right? Sometimes we act, and I've talked about this before, sometimes it's like Christians act like it's really just us and God in this story. Which is why we're so caught off guard and so frustrated when things go wrong. Right? When our marriage is really struggling. Right? Or our relationship with our kids or our parents falls apart. Right, or those seasons or those days, those weeks when it feels like the world is just against you and you're like, why is this so hard? It's not supposed to be. Right, God, and then we, we turn to God and say, God, how in the world can you let this happen? As if God was behind it. And I would suggest to you that oftentimes God is not behind it. Right, God never desires for sin to happen. Some of our deepest wounds and hurts and struggles are a result of sin. Right, there's another player, there's another character that's a part of our story. Things are not as they seem. This is not a peacetime. Biblically, the scriptures point to is not that we were born into peace, but that we were born into a war zone. All right, and so I want to read what is probably the most uh, well-known passage uh, when it comes to this particular point. It's Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. It says this. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right, whether you recognize it or not, whether you believe it or not, there's a lot more going on than you see with the naked eye. Right? You ever see those westerns where there's like the shootout in the town square and you got bullets coming from everywhere? And then there's the guy behind the barrel who's like ducking and the bullets are hitting the barrel and going overhead, right? The biblical picture is that's what you were born into. You and I were born behind the barrel and the bullets have been flying since the moment that you were born, right? And I'm not going to try to convince you of this. I don't have time for that this morning. Um, we did a series around this idea called The Walking Dead last year, right? And so if you want to dig in a little bit more, I challenge you if you don't believe it, right? But this morning, it's just a state that biblically, this is real, this is true, right? Wednesday night, Megan and I were watching, uh, we watched... Uh, the Usual Suspects. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Great 90s movie. It's on Netflix. It's like 96. Kevin Spacey is awesome. And there's a, there's a very famous line that comes from this movie. 
and I've quoted it before, and it's quoted a couple different times in the movie. It's like the big idea of the film. Right? And Kevin Spacey, he says, the greatest trick that the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Right? We as Westerners don't often believe in Satan and the devil. Right? It's a part of pop culture. You'll find it on South Park. Right? You'll find it on Family Guy. You find it on The Simpsons. We laugh. Right? We're very skeptical of things we can't see or taste or touch or hear or measure. Right? We believe in science. We believe in reason. I get all that. But this morning, we just have to realize that biblically, that's not what the scriptures say. Whereas scripture says words like this, 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Be watchful for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All right, resist him. Right, one of my favorite verses by Jesus, one of my favorite things he ever said, he said, you know, I've come so that they might have life and have it to the full. But right before that, in the same breath, he says, the thief, our enemy, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they might have life. The biblical pictures, there is a war going on at all times. And you and I are caught in the middle. And it has been going on long before Adam and Eve stepped on the scene. There is war in the heavens. There's war on earth. And it continues, a war for our hearts and our souls. Right? And so we pray because there is a battle and a war going on. And this is important for prayer specifically because when we come to, to see this and understand this, it changes the way that we pray. Right? Until we do, uh, we, can, we will not pray as we ought. We won't see the real need for prayer in our daily lives, nor will we even come to know what real prayer actually can accomplish and what it actually looks like. Right, Ephesians 6, it talks about all the weapons that we have at our disposal, right? So if you grew up in Sunday school, right, you made like the belt of truth and the sandals and the sword, and it's great Sunday school illustration, right? But after all those things, Paul says, you've been given all these things, so now pray, 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 and don't you dare stop praying. It's in the same Greek sentence. Here's the weapons. Now pray. Why? It's because it's through prayer that these weapons are deployed. Without them, right, none of it's of any use, right? We are, we're dead in the water. Uh, I'll point this out really clearly. John 15, 16. Jesus says this. He says, look, you did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you pray for in my name, the Father will give you. Right, why does Jesus say this? Why will the Father give you whatever you pray in his name? Because they've been sin, sent to bear fruit. Us, his disciples. The reason the, Father's, the Father gives us prayer is because we have a mission. Right, it is to aid us in that mission, in the fight. Right, I love the way that John Piper puts it, and he wrote this 25 years ago, but it's just as relevant for us today. This is what he says. He says, The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission. Go and bear fruit, right? Usher in the kingdom of God. Push back the darkness. Be my people, the church, the hope of the world. Handed them a personal transmitter coded to the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, comrades, the general has a mission for you. And he aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. And if you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. 
to give you tactical advice when you need it, and to send in air cover when you or your comrades need that. But what have Christians done? Stop believing that we're in a war. There's no urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime and prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cars, not to call in firepower for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring in another pillow to the den. And he goes on, he says, we have so domesticated prayer that it's no longer, in many of our lives and churches, what it was created to be, a wartime walkie-talkie for the accomplishment of mission commands. And until we realize this, biblical teaching about the urgency of prayer and the vigilance of prayer and the watching in prayer, and the perseverance in prayer, and the danger of abandoning prayer, it will make no sense. It'll find no resonance in our hearts. Until we feel the desperation of a bombing raid, or the thrill of a strategic offensive for the gospel, we will not pray in the spirit of Jesus. All right, to put it bluntly, whether you believe it or not, what I would propose to you is what the Bible proposes, and that is that you have a very real enemy who hates you, who hates the God who brought you into this room and gave you life and wants to do everything he can to destroy you, to grieve the heart of God. Right? And as long as he can convince you that he doesn't exist, and this is just fairy tale stuff, this is ridiculous, like developing country spiritual stuff, we've progressed past that. As long as he can keep you there, well, then you're going to keep doing what most of us do, and that is fighting with one another, thinking that our struggle is with flesh and blood. Right? We will keep thinking that our fight is really with our spouse. How dare she? How dare he? Or that our fight is with our parents, right? Or our kids, right? Or our boss, or the person who sunk your business, or the person who killed your dream, or that person who hurt you so badly. Or the Bible says that's not where the real fight is. The reason that's going on is because of something deeper. That our real struggle, it's not with flesh and blood. It's something much more powerful, something that is unseen. Until we get this, boring uh, prayer is going to feel like a boring routine like a discipline for the exceptionally spiritual and has no real relevance uh, to our daily lives. We pray because we are at war. We pray because we are at war. All right, secondly, we pray because God has both the ability and the desire to intervene. All right, he's the one with the ability and the desire uh, to intervene. And I just think it's important, even though, again, this is not new information to you, but it just bears like talk, saying out loud, especially as we start praying, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in our city as it is in heaven. Because what's going to happen is your eyes, you're going to start to see the brokenness all around you. Right? The world is going to start to look really dark because you're going to start to see some of the stuff for, for what it is. Right? And we can start to give ourselves a lot more credit in this whole work. Um, and it can be really overwhelming. Right, just to be completely honest, like this week was one of those for me, like as a pastor. Like it was a really dark, dark week. You know, and one of the great privileges of what I get to do is in pastoring a church that's like come as you are, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, just come. Um, is that you get to see a lot of great stuff firsthand, but you also get to see a lot of really hard stuff for, firsthand. You know, and as a pastor, you get to sit with people that sometimes, like, when the floor drops out and they feel like they have nowhere else to go, um, that's kind of part of the nature of the job. And I love it, and it's a great privilege, but sometimes it's like there's just too much. You know, and, and 
what, with this whole thing, it's, a, it's actually a privilege spiritually because I get to see how inept I really am week in and week out. And this week was just one of those. Right, in this community, right, we, we refer to this community, the church, the community of the sinning saints because we're all both. Right on the other side of the cross, sin doesn't go away, the struggle. But Jesus, when we're in Christ, and we put him on the throne of our life, and we ask for forgiveness and become his, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin anymore. He sees a saint. But we are saints who continue to wrestle with sin. So we are the community of the sinning saints. And this week, the community of the sinning saints, man, we just had a lot of stuff that just came to the surface, you know, for me personally. Um, A lot of marriages that are in rough shape, or ending, um, or just ended, right? Custody, fights for custody for kids, suicidal stuff, abortion stuff, you name it. It was just one of those weeks. Um, and so in the middle of the week, like Megan and I were just kind of at our end, where it's just like the only thing we could do is pray. And Megan turned to me, you know, she said, last night I was praying. She said, I just kept praying, Lord, would you please come? Would you just come, you know? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I've been praying, you know, this week. It's like, Lord, would you just come and make things right? Because I'm sick of this. You know, this stuff. And then, and then I turn on the news and I watch a video of a woman with kids in the back of her minivan driving into the ocean trying to kill them all. You see that? And people are diving into the minivan as their kids are screaming, our mom is trying to kill us. And then I open up the journal Star and I'm reading about, you know, a meth bust in Lincoln and they found this woman's eight-month-old daughter face down in a comforter, covered in vomit, with roach eggs all over her feet. I'm just like, the dark is too much. Like, Lord, would you just come? Would you just come and usher in your kingdom in its fullness? Would you just come and take away the the neglect, the child abuse, the, the suffering, the pain, the broken relationships? Just do it already. Because I can't do much on my own. You know, and it was like, in this moment, it was it was so clear. It was like the, the verse that came to mind is where Jesus precisely won't pray for that very thing. Right? Where he prays to the Father and he says, Father, I pray for my disciples. I pray not that you would take them out of this world. Right? But that as I've sent them into it, that you would keep them from the evil one. Right? And so we have to acknowledge, yes, we have a role to play in this. As we pray this, we have a role to play in this city, but we also have to understand that we are very limited in what we can do. Last week I shared, you know, a number of stories of life change that we've seen through this community in the last three years. We can't accomplish that in a single life. We can't change a single life. But the amazing thing is, is God is able and willing that the sovereign creator of the universe says, would you pray? Would you ask? Because you don't ask, because you don't ask. I am the one who has the ability. Right, some verses for you. Right, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Right, God says, I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Right, and so we can pray, Lord God, would you do that? Would you do that in my spouse? Would you do that in me? Would you do that in my kids? Would you take out that heart of stone? Would you give them a heart of flesh? Would you change them? Right, Deuteronomy 36, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Right, so we can pray, Lord God, would you do that in our city? Would you do that in my family? Right, would, you, would you change our hearts? Would you change their hearts? Would you change his heart or her heart so that they may live? 
right, so that they may know the life that only comes from you. Right, Ezekiel 36, 27, and I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you to follow my decrees, and to be careful to keep my laws. Lord God, would you do that in our city? Would you move us? Because you know what? On my own, I'm a piece of trash. Right, spiritually, I can be so lazy, and this world can be so dark, and we get it wrong so often, but Lord, would you move us with your spirit? Would you put your spirit in us? Right, 2 Timothy 2.25, God, will you grant them the repentance leading them to a knowledge of truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive. Lord, would you free them? Would you free our city as only you can? Right, Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of the gospel. Lord God, would you open that heart? Would you open that heart? Would you open my heart? Would you open the heart of our city? I have a lot more verses, but I, I'm going to shut up now for your sake. We could go on and on and on. All that to say, God is the only one who can do that. And so we pray because he is the one who can do that. Right? And because he is the one who can do that, and he invites us to pray that, us praying together as God's people is the most powerful work that we can do when it comes to advancing God's kingdom. Yes, there's a time to roll up your sleeves. Those moments are there. Those moments will come. But the most powerful work is praying together. Right now, Christians are, can be weird and say things that are just ridiculous. Um, and sometimes I will run into a Christian who's kind of big on God's sovereignty and like there's a lot of little sects of like Calvinists and they're kind of like the lazy Calvinist kind of mold, right? And they'll say something like, well, if God is sovereign, right, if Jesus is going to return someday and then the kingdom will be here in its fullness and all of creation will be as God desired, if that day is going to come anyway, like why pray? Right? Why even work? Right? And so what I would suggest to you is that you're exactly right Right? God's purposes, his overarching purposes, are going to happen with or without your help. With or without my help. God will do what he's going to do in the end, whether we step in or not. Right? But our obedience in this regard to pray this prayer and to be willing to move when he says move determines whether or not we actually get to be a part of that. Um, because the thing is, here's the thing, the war... Like, I, I like this terminology, even though I tend to avoid war terminology. Uh, but I'm going all over there this morning. It's like this. It's like, it's, the war is won, but there's still a lot of battles to be fought. All right, the best illustration I've heard of this um, comes from a guy named Philip Ryken. I uh, wrote a book. And he describes it like World War II, right, when the Allies were fighting against Nazi Germany. And he says, for all intents and purposes, um, World War II was over on D-Day. Right, the moment that uh, the British and American troops established a beachhead in France, uh, it was essentially over. Now, there were still battles to be fought, uh, and there would be many lives yet to be lost. But from that point on, the Nazis were fighting a losing battle. Right, all that remained was for the Allies to liberate Europe. Right, this, is, this is us. This is why we pray. And this is why we work. Right, to quote Michael Milton, at the cross... Right, the devil, devil was defeated. Right, but battles still rage across the earth and in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, but Christ is the victor. The war is won. The enemy is exposed and losing ground, and Christ is gaining. In the end, right, he will be fully defeated. Right, the whole book of Revelation can be summed up in three words. Jesus always wins. 
He won at Eden when victory was declared by God, but had yet to be worked out. He won at Calvary at the cross when Satan's domain was given its fatal blow. Jesus won in the early church when Rome itself became the very instrument God used to advance the kingdom throughout the world. And for those of us in this room who are in Christ, right, Jesus won the day you surrendered your life to the grace and love of Jesus Christ and put him on the throne of your life. Right, the kingdom is at hand. The war is over, but there are many battles to be fought. And so Jesus says, pray for this and fight because there is work yet to do, and you have been invited to play a role. And so we pray, may the kingdom come, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, God's the one with the ability, and it's worth pointing this out as well. God has the desire. He has the desire to intervene on, on your behalf. Do you know that? Like, he wants to. This is why he's constantly pleading with us in the scriptures. Would you pray for me? Would you ask of me? One of my favorite passages on this is Luke uh, 11, beginning in verse 9. This is what it says. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. This, by the way, is right after the Lord's Prayer. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Right? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good, 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 give good gifts to your children, uh, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Right, I love this because as a dad, I get this. I love to give to my girls. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I buy so much crap that they don't need because I, I have a hard time saying no sometimes. Right, Christmas, I don't need to get any gifts anymore. Right, the joy for me as a dad is watching them turn the corner and see that tree with the presents underneath and watch them go nuts, you know, for the rest of the day as they open presents and play with them. There's nothing better. You know, I'm already, like, buying gifts for my son. He's not even born yet. You know, I'm planning adventures and looking at canoes online, you know. <laughs> seriously. Because I love it. It's seriously, it's just, I love it. Right? And so I get this. And Jesus says, man, sometimes you, we get it so wrong. Right? Sometimes there's still so much brokenness and darkness in your heart, and yet you know how to give good gifts to your kids. And if you know how to do that, can you imagine your heavenly Father, who is pure, he's not cruel, he's so good, how much more he rejoices in saying yes, yes, yes to you. Especially as we pray what he taught us to pray. Right? Father, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will be done in my life. May your will be done in my marriage. May your will be done in our city. Right? That is a prayer that God loves to say, yes, 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 so will you ask me for it? I love that. Right? And Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, look, don't be afraid. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So ask for it. He's a Father who loves to say yes. And so we pray, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so band, you can come on up at this point. And as I wrap up, there's one little caveat that I have to say. And, and it's a warning, all right? And, and I have to warn you that this prayer that we are praying in this series can be a very dangerous prayer to pray. <laughs> prayer, can be, prayer can be powerful because it can stir the heart of God. Right, the God who created all this and who rules sovereignly over his creation 
Prayer can move his heart, especially when God's people come together and pray. Right? It can be powerful, that, but it can be dangerous because when you pray, you're opening yourself up for God to stir your heart and to begin to move you. Right? And I would suggest to you that prayer, more often than not, is less about getting God on board with our plans and God getting us on board with his. Right? It's less about us getting God to give us what we want and more about God moving and stirring our heart and soul for him to move us in a line with what he wants and desires. Right? So here's the thing. If you pray this, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our city as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven, um, God might say yes. Right? And he, in saying yes, he might call you to be a part of answering your own prayer. And that can be very dangerous. Right, Frederick Douglass, a uh, very famous quote by him. He said, you know, I prayed for 20 years, but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. God may call you to be a part of answering your own prayer with your legs, right, with your hands, with your feet. And that can be a very dangerous thing. Right, when we start praying, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we start to ask dangerous questions like, what does the kingdom of God look like? Right, and we get this picture when Jesus comes back of what his kingdom and his fullness will be like. Right, there will be no more shame or human indignity. There will be no more tears, no more needless suffering or pain, no more death, no more poverty. Right, and so we start to ask, well, if that's what the kingdom of God looks like, then what does that look like here in our city? And that will mess a person up. Right, so I've been asking this question and praying this prayer as we get ready to roll into this series and we're doing this. Right, and last week I, I mentioned, you know what, I think that it, when, if the church would rise up and be the church, we could do away with foster kids who have no loving home. That that need could go away, that there could be not a single child in Lancaster County that's in need of a loving family. I believe that, but there's some, some implications to that, isn't there? Right, when God calls us to look after the orphans, what is the foster care system? Right, it's just circling orphans through the system with no family. Right, and so I'm starting to ask, uh-oh, you know, maybe there's something for us there if there's a need. If the reflection of God's heart is that all kids are cared for and loved for in the context of a loving family, for those of us who are loving families, there might be a call there. God might start to answer that prayer, and we might be a part of answering that prayer. It's a very dangerous prayer. Right, and last week I also mentioned right, the human trafficking that's going on up and down I-80 in our own backyard, right at rest areas and truck stops. Right, and in my mind I'm thinking, you know what, I don't know a whole lot, but I know that in the kingdom of God that doesn't happen. Right, young girls are not used and abused like that in the kingdom of God. And so as I pray this prayer, may your kingdom come in Lincoln as it is in heaven. There might be implications there for me for us to engage. You know, and I have a lot more learning to do when it comes to human trafficking and local human trafficking, but I'm thinking, if we know where it's taking place, I think we can engage. I think we can make it very hard for those who are doing human trafficking to do their job like that if we know where it's taking place. Right? Some of you who know more about it than I are like, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> Maybe it is, but my point is, if that's a need, and that's not what the kingdom of God looks like. And we are God's people, his church for this city. Well, then we might be called to engage. 
right? And so just know this can be a very dangerous prayer. And so pray it at your own risk. And so for those who are willing, uh, I want to end this morning the same way we did last week. And I want to stand, if you would stand. And we're going to end by praying this prayer. Those of you who are willing uh, to pray together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in Lincoln as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, may it be so. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on this earth and in this city and in our lives as you see it and dream it to be. And Lord God, I just confess before you right now what a poor job I often do of crying out to you and living and praying like I need you to be active and present in my life day by day. I guess I'm thinking a lot of us are there. But Lord God, we cry out to you now as a community. May your kingdom come here. Would you show us what it means to be a church for our city, your people called to this city? And as we move forward, Lord, would you give us both the discernment and the courage to move in and act, to pray with our legs when that's the call? 